Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. Hi, welcome along to episode 9 of series 5. Today I'm speaking to Joe, an MFL teacher who's passionate about keeping up to date with everything education. We discuss different forms of CPD, how she engages and why she thinks it's important to do so. Okay, hi, so I'm here with Joe today. So Joe, can you just introduce yourself please? Yeah, um, my name is Joe Turton. I am a classroom languages teacher in the secondary school, um, a classic state comprehensive with a wide demographic um, based in the southeast in Surrey. Um, I have been teaching 26 years and counting, I think. Um, I have variously done um, head of department. I was 2IC for a bit. Um, then about 16 years ago, I had my first son and so work took a little bit of a back seat. Um, and I've been teaching in my current school for, I think this is my seventh year. Uh, children are a little bit older, um, so I'm finding myself a little bit more starting to re-engage with work and things. Um, yeah, uh, PGC maîtrise from Cambridge and Strasbourg a long time ago. <laughs> Great. Well, okay. So, and what does the phrase from page to practice mean to you? Um, I think for me, it's about how can I use this in my classroom? Or sometimes, can I use this in my classroom? Um, there's so much stuff out there. There are so many blogs, so many articles, so many books. And sometimes you can read something and, and think, wow, that's really great. It's brilliant, fantastic. I'm going to go and try it. And it it just it just flops. And there's there's the kind of the the sort of slightly long-standing difference between the research and does it go into the classroom and, and that kind of thing. So for me, I can't quite remember when I sort of came across from page to patches, but it was about, oh, okay, these are people who've read the book. This is somebody who's wrote the book, written the book. Here's somebody who's read the book and this is how it worked for them. And that was, for me, that's what it's about. It's about can I, how do I put this that I've read that's great and how do I make it work in my classroom? And sometimes it doesn't always because everybody's context is different. And so, yeah, that's what it means for me. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Moving on then, looking at, you know, talk a bit, a bit about CPD today, really, aren't we? And, and directing your own CPD and how you engage with it. So um, to start off with, do you think it's important to seek out your own CPD rather than just relying on what's provided in school? I th- I think so, yes, in an ideal world. Um, it, if you're lucky to be in a school that, has got a very dynamic CPD delivery, then that's great. But inevitably, they're trying to sort of leadership, trying to hit lots and lots of people all at once. Not everybody needs everything. Not everybody wants everything. You've got different ages, different stages of career, different ambitions and things. And for me, it's much more motivating if you have found something yourself because that's really resonated with you. And you think, actually, that that's, I want to go on that course. I want to read that book. I want to speak to that person. I want to travel the length of England to go and hear somebody talk. And it's exciting. And you end up, you know, you can be a little groupie and go, oh, it's a famous person that I see on Twitter. And, it, and you're more likely to take something away from it that you can then actively use um, than not not all schools and I know not all schools do this our school is really great we have a great CPD delivery um but if you can find something yourself 
then it's more likely to resonate. It's more likely to it's more likely to last. You're more likely to make those long standing changes and change those habits, which we're always talking about, kind of trying to change those habits and embedding the good practice and things. Um, so I think so if you can searching out stuff for yourself is great. Do you think that's something that's changed in the last, you know, let's say you said you've been to- teaching for 20 something years. Do you think that's something that's since things like Twitter have, have come around in, the, in that time, do you think that's something that's really helped to change CPD? For me, it is a completely different field out there. I mean, it, it's, I was thinking about this. It's sometimes hard to, to tell whether it's because I'm older and wiser or certainly I'm older. Um, it, it, I'm kind of working for a different reason, I feel sometimes. Um, but the the landscape has very, very definitely changed. Um, and the school that I was in when I started teaching was not particularly dynamic. Nobody did really go on courses particularly. There was an odd bit of CPD delivery on an inset day every now and again. And I think the whole Twitter thing and blogs and the internet has really helped sometimes there's quite a lot of stuff and it's hard to filter out what's really useful but yes absolutely I think it's it's a relatively recent thing I think you've actually just touched upon the next thing I was going to say which is how do you filter out what you are interested in and what's worth engaging with when there is so much out there I don't really think I'm very good at it if I'm honest (laughs) um I've got like a million folders on my email (laughs) many different things um I think I think it's like anything really on to do with the internet. You you have to be quite brutal. And part of what has interested me in my CPD journey over race basically the last since last October, so October twenty one, has been what is it that I'm really interested in? Okay, yes, the behaviour's really interesting, um, and then SCN's also really interesting. Um, but at the but you can't concentrate on everything. So it's 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 about okay this this term. I'm really going to look at feedback, and I'm really going to look at, or I'm really going to look at questioning, or I'm really going to look at things that I can do in my classroom. And then next term, I'm really going to look at task design, and I'm really going to look at um, build building schemes of work or building lesson lesson content. Um, or tweaking my key stage four materials and then next term and it's kind of I try to do it like that because you can't you can't do everything and then sometimes there's things that are very so the whole curriculum uh the kind of the curriculum wave it is not something that I don't think I'm ever going to be doing as in a role in a job but I quite listening to quite like listening to very knowledgeable people talking about it and so that's more a sort of you know if I'm going out for a walk or if I'm going for a run or if I'm doing the ironing I kind of I put that aside for then but yeah it's hard to filter everything out it's like impossible probably (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting what you've just mentioned there, actually. So are there certain things that you will go, okay, this is a particular area I'm really interested in. I need to listen to this in a different environment. So you said some things you'll do whilst you've gone out for a run or whilst you're doing whatever around the house. How do you make that distinction and and why? I think it's really important that you do, but why do you do that? I think it's, this is going to make me sound sound really daft. It's because, joking aside, I haven't, I haven't really engaged at a more kind of academic researchy level for 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 decades really. I mean since I did my since I did my masters. So things that are um that I think I'm going to have to listen to quite carefully those tend to be the things that I can do bizarrely when I'm out for a run because I'm not having to I've not got. I've not done something in the house. I'm not trying to field my children. I'm not trying to plan. I'm not trying to mark a set of books, and I can. I kind of have the headspace to sort of listen to some of those bigger ideas. Whereas um, things that are more um, some of the sort of behaviour podcasts and things, I find easier to listen to sort of in school maybe in my classroom at the end of the day or 
in an evening at home that I'm not so distracted by them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think it's really important that we think about how we can give ourselves that headspace to be able to engage with these things, isn't it? Because it's all in good saying there's all these things out there, but then not being able to take it in and actually process it and do anything with it, it's really difficult, isn't it? Especially with the volume that's out there. Um, you know, I've, I'd find you could go to a conference or something and go to so many sessions and then afterwards it's knowing what to do with it and taking some some next steps with it isn't it yeah I mean I think that for me is is still that's that's kind of really that's still still where I'm at um I'm so oh, yeah, this is great 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 but I don't really understand it as uh, uh, you know and so I think it's great maybe I'm going to read it later or I'll listen to it later or actually, this is not, I'd love to be interested, but it's just way over my head. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to understand it. And it's that finding that time and and kind of saying to yourself, but I am allowed to, you know, this is a valid use of my time. And it has got actual real life relevance to what I'm doing. It's not, oh, I should be doing something else. Or I should be marking a set of books. It's kind of like, well, what's going to what's going to have the biggest impact really um but yeah it's the next steps and what do I do with all this amazing stuff that's out there is is difficult it is it definitely is so like what are your kind of go-to sources I'm 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 sensing it might be podcasts because of the, the way you've talked about how you uh engage with it but is it podcasts is it books is it blogs tweets what are your favorite ways of of accessing these things um, I would say probably I get a lot of stuff first off Twitter because I follow, you know, you follow people on Twitter and maybe I spend kind of, I might spend half an hour flicking through some stuff and filtering out a lot of other stuff. Um, there's quite a few podcasts that I listen to. Some of them are more teaching based, um, Tea and teaching, tips for teachers, um, the Motivated Classroom podcast with uh, Dr. Liam Printer um, is is amazing. Um, so it's pr- um, Florencia Henshaw's got a great YouTube channel, which is very specifically second language acquisition, um, but she breaks down loads of concepts um, and that's there's, it's super accessible. So she breaks down... Um, SLA articles and kind of puts them in very accessible terms. Um, so I would say probably, probably podcasts would be the first one. Um, I've got loads and loads and loads of articles saved and I get loads and loads of books <laughs> from the library. <laughs> but I'll be honest, I don't I don't read them all. Peps McRae's got some, uh, what are they called? Um, he's got some like, little snack like snack emails that get sent through on Thursdays, yes. I think. Evident and snacks. Evident yeah. snacks. And those are quite good. So smaller bite-sized things. And sometimes it's also so yeah, so podcasts and articles probably, I think. I mean I have got a stack of books, but initially I think it's probably going to be Twitter, podcasts and articles. And then if you if I pick something up I might see if it's available in the library and then go and get it from the library and then kind of or if I've read if I there's some somebody that I've read some, something that I've read that's been by somebody that I might go and look at their book that's been recommended by somebody else or something like that. Yeah, so using those online resources as, as a bit of a springboard, really, going, okay, I'll listen to all of these people and then I'll pick out the one thing that I'm really interested in to take a bit of a, a deeper dive. So once you've done all this this reading and listening, is there any way that you like to to share what you've been learning with other people? Or is it something you share in school at all or online or is it something that actually it's it's for you and your development which is obviously fine too um yeah to be honest this is the thing that I'm I'm not say I'm struggling with it is is not isn't quite right it would be so different from what I've been doing for the last 16 or 17 years so different to how I have seen myself as a teacher for like forever um but I do we have um we run annual teach meets at school and so I always try and share that 
share via that um, um, ali, um, that avenue. Um, we have also occasionally done um, like mini teach meets, sort of at the end of a day. We've done maybe half an hour and in, in a classroom and if people are interested they've come along and sometimes those have had a particular focus and other times it's just been what everybody wants to share so I do get involved that way at school we have a part of our departmental meetings every they seem to be hardly ever these days um but we always have a we call it magic tricks um that's always a kind of a sharing good practice or anything that we've done or something that we've read or something that we a way that we managed something in a classroom that worked really well. So we kind of, I share that way. Um, I share a lot of stuff on Twitter. I, I Most of what I do on Twitter is retweeting things and um, I, I, I do reply to stuff and I do sort of offer offer my own thoughts, but generally I, I share a lot of stuff on Twitter. Um, and I have, there have been things... Um, there are things that come through sometimes from Twitter that I think actually I know that leadership are working on that. Um, and I know that there maybe there I can't think from, there's a, something that I saw the other day. And I think it might have been well-being and there was something to do with staff well-being on Twitter. And I passed it on to the chap who's in charge of well-being at school. You know, things that I think they might be useful and sometimes they email me back and say that's lovely and sometimes they don't <laughs> I think they must get a thousand emails from various people so I do try and share because that's what it's about I think um and then sometimes like now it's just nice to shoot the breeze and everybody's got a different context everybody's got a different lens that they're viewing these things through and the more things you have to try the more likely it is that you're going to find something that works for you with that class on that day doing that activity um so yeah that do try and share some stuff and i think the things you're saying about the, the way you go about sharing things are really important that that lots of teachers need to feel maybe more empowered to do that so if it's a teach me in school or if it's been the one to initiate a teach me in school or if it's just sharing something within your department or sending that email to the person who's responsible for that area because they're never going to turn you down they're never going to just you know think oh ridiculous and, and get rid of it that these people are always really appreciative to to have someone contributing aren't they and I think people need to feel empowered to do that a bit more often I think absolutely and I think also it's very something that I have noticed being a little bit older is that and it's it, not in every school at all and I wouldn't have said in my current school particularly but I have worked in schools or I have been aware of I've had friends that worked in schools where <clears throat> um, it's often a certain type of person who is always doing the thing and saying the thing and running the thing and you know I kind of sometimes think but just because there are people who aren't doing all those things and we don't have the job title that says teaching and learning lead you know we do have things to offer and I you know I did my teacher training a thousand years ago and it's was much worse than it is now and I think from what I hear things have really moved on and really improved but that does you know I still have 26 years worth of of, of experience of handling different things and doing different stuff and you know I read different things to what to to, to colleagues and so I think everybody has something to offer and it's quite easy to think oh well do you know like you say oh well they've already got people doing that and they, you know ambitious people young people who you know got plans and ideas and then you just think well it doesn't matter I'll just be quiet and not say anything and I think that's a shame because everybody has something to offer oh exactly and that 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 is something I've touched on with with a few of these conversations now that just because you haven't got the job title that says you're the one in charge of that thing doesn't make your view any less valid and doesn't make what you've got to contribute any less and often you'll find that that person who has got that title to do that thing may well be fairly isolated in what they're trying to do and they love it when someone else says oh can I help with this or I'm really interested in that or can I share this because it becomes about helping to build the school culture for for CPD and for improving practice doesn't it absolutely and the more that so we had um the last teach meets we had ours in January and the last one we had 
Um, I think we had the most number of, <clears throat> I can't remember the exact breakdown. It was, I think we might have had most of our teachers. It was most of the presenters were were from our school, um, but lots of them were really new teachers. So actually, on that was that was great because then everybody can see it's not like just the old really experienced teachers and it's not just the ones that are heads of anything or have got the the the, the lead titles everybody's sharing stuff and then you you know you build that like you say you build that community of of kind of yeah sharing want of a better word. <laughs> so I've remembered what I was going to say now before I got distracted by deep dives. Um, <laughs> and the question was, um, so you, of the podcast you mentioned, you actually mentioned 50% of which were subject specific and 50% you mentioned were kind of more ge- general. And that may have just been the amount you mentioned, but it, it was. So do you think there's an important balance to be struck between the more general CPD and the subject specific? I think so. I think so because um, the partly partly because it's it's refreshing. Sometimes you know, I we spend all of our time in our departments teaching our subject and trying to find the best ways to do it, and so and things like behaviour or cognitive science or and sort of learning and attention they are they are across everything and sometimes it's just interesting to hear how it is in 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 other subjects or to think about those sorts of things not through an MFL lens sometimes I think oh I just I don't want to do another how am I going to run a listening task or how am I going to do speaking tasks sometimes I just want to think about education in in a in a wider sense um so i think it is i think it is important to to kind of have a, a a global overview and to be able to listen to different podcasts or from different subjects and be able to go okay i see what you're saying i don't know if it would work for mfl but interesting anyway because i mean lots of the time oh yeah i'll fess fess up you know, you're sitting in a CPD session going, well, that's all very well for science. <laughs> well, that's all very well for PE, <laughs> but that ain't going to happen in my classroom because because there are different things. We need different things. The kids are expecting different things. Um, but yeah, I think <clears throat> it's nice to have a, it's nice to have that overview as well, I think. No, definitely, definitely. So before we uh, move into the kind of the final section, um, talking about our CPD library round, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't had a chance to cover? Um, no, not, 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 not in particular. I don't, I don't think. I mean, I think for me, the, the, it, I think it's it's such a shame, and I know it's such a shame when. I hear people like, oh, yeah, but, you know, CPD, oh, it's really boring. Oh, we've got another CPD delivery. Oh, it's, oh, my God, but it's just not relevant. And that used to be me probably only two years ago. And then I went to a research ed conference with a buddy who's head of a school down in Wiltshire. And I I turned, within two hours, I had, I think I heard John Hutchinson talk first and then Michael Charles. And within two hours, I was just this geek. I absolutely, you know, I, couldn't, I couldn't get enough of it. Signed up for one in May, and then we went again in October, and and I just, I was so, ex- I was so excited and so happy that I had kind of found my, refound my love of my job, and I wanted to go back, and I love reading things that make me think, oh yes, yes, ten B, I could do that. That would work. That would really work, or. Ah, yeah, no, maybe I could try that with him or her. I didn't, you know, or maybe this questioning thing, that would be really good. Or I could do more. And it makes you kind of think, well, we what we're all learning. And maybe that's true. Actually, yeah, do you know what? I don't do very much of that. And I need to do more stuff of that. But when you're listening to people who are also saying, just try it, see if it works. It doesn't really matter what you've done before, as long as you are 
it does matter what you've done before. What I mean is it's kind of like as long as you're looking forward and you're trying to think and you're always ready to try new stuff and and give new things a go. And I think it's that readiness to 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 try things and to look for new stuff and to be actively thinking about how can you make your your classroom or your lessons more engaging inevitably it's going to be more engaging for you as well and that's only going to make it better for everybody else so for me it, it's about that whole finding your cpd looking around you know, actually schools will mostly pay for stuff actually if you can relate it if it if you can put it in the right words that show them that it's going to have an impact they'll be you'll be surprised what they'll what they'll pay for because they want they want learning to improve. They want the classes to be excited. They want the kids to be excited. They want dynamic staff. And so just, you know, you find something and you go and have a look and you go and have a listen or you go and have a read. And then you, you, you're always trying to do something different. Not every day with every class all the time. But, you know, this week I'm going to concentrate on questioning with year eight. Next week I'm going to concentrate on feedback with year 10. The week after I'm going to make my key stage four tasks a bit more quantified or, or or whatever it is so for me I think that's that's my kind of little soapbox is you know it it's great to just help you to help help you stay fresh <laughs> <You think? laughs> I like that you've described it as a soapbox but you it just it's a really good point though because it is a shame when people say oh I've got a CPD tonight and and it's I think that's the eternal struggle that we've got in school of of how do we change that image of CPD and I think it's gone a long way you know like we said at the start of the conversation how things have changed even in my eight years or so it went for the first few years were you paid for a course you went to a hotel you sat down in this nice hotel for the day and you listened to this presenter and that that has kind of gone out the window somewhat now so things are changing but yeah it's it's got an image image problem somewhere on the line hasn't it but maybe the early career framework might help potentially we're bringing in teachers who are engaged in a different way I think I think it it is having a difference already um I don't have a lot of contact with many of the ECTs just by the nature of of my the hours and my job but the ones that I so the teach me lots of them stood up lots of lots of evidence of awareness of the research and uh, a will to be evidence informed and I think schools it's a nightmare for leadership because you've only got however many hours in a day and everybody's tired and everybody's got too much work to do and trying to find a way to deliver valuable CPD must be (laughs) really difficult I mean we had a really our team had a really good idea um, and it was basically about kind of engaging with research and we had a choice over how we were going to do it and um, whether we whether we were a- whether we were able to go out ourselves and find the research or whether we wanted them to kind of filter it first and then they would pass us the articles or whether we preferred to sit down and talk about it or whether we wanted to read a book. So we had all of these ideas and then the I- we had a little booklet that um, we could fill up with stickers if we would talk to different people and over the year, the idea was we'd fill up with stickers, but that was 2020, 2019, 2020. And so of course <laughs> it was a really good idea though. It was a really good idea. Um, and then I think like so many things, it's just been really hard to kind of get back up. The, the teach meet this year was, was the kind of the first big thing that we've done. But yeah, I think. Oh, that's, Sounds like a really interesting idea, though. Anything that that can kind of encourage people to be doing different things in different areas and and having the opportunity to lead their own CPD a bit more. Because I think that doesn't help when people feel like the only CPD they're getting is the specific things they've been told they have to go and sit down in the hall for for an hour. And I think it's sometimes that they just don't realise that it's there. You know, like I had no idea, for example, that the NEU had a CPD week where there was a bunch of webinars and actually that's great it's free (laughs) you know and some of them were great some of them were like oh my gosh but you know I think lots of people just don't realize that it's out there yeah it's there to engage with people just need to be 
be given the, the the time, the space, the opportunity, and and also the knowledge that it's there, right? I think so. And the the fact that it's not to it's not another stick to beat yourself up with. It, it's you know we're not all academics. We don't all understand all the articles, and so the books that are around that kind of break things down. Or if you don't have time, then you don't have time. But you know, it, it's just a it. it it's good for people to be aware that that it is there and that it can be a really exciting, really interesting aspect of of our jobs. And it's not always just to sit down and listen to, I don't know, I'm not going to mention any names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's okay to find it an exciting part as well, because I think some of my struggle early on was that, and I think it depends, you know, who you're working with and where you're working and all that kind of thing. But early on, I was very interested in things. I was on Twitter, I was reading blogs, and and then I was amongst people who were like, why are you doing that? Uh, and, and I wanted to carry on and do my master's. And I had people say to me, Why? because I want to because I'm interested in it so I think knowing and I think that's become a bit more accepted accepted as if that's the right term but it's it's becoming more of a thing now isn't it but um knowing that it's it's completely okay to be engaged and interested as well as yeah and, as, and, uh, and that it can have and that it can have a real life impact and it isn't just I'm going to do off some academic research and read some books and write a very knowledgeable thing that's then going to sit on a shelf it's you know there's so much now that is that you can take back to the classroom that has its evidence in the classroom that has its base in the classroom that's meant to be in the classroom and I think that's also a thing that it's the gap between this very academic approach but bears no resemblance to what I'm doing I think I like to think it's getting narrower because it's more more talked about yeah, no, I agree. I think there's lots of things now that help us to to bridge that gap in ways that weren't around even five, six, seven, up to ten years ago. Things are really changing, aren't they? So, Joe, if people want to to connect with you on, I'm guessing Twitter's the best way. Uh, how do they find you? I am at Madam T M F L on Twitter. Sign up to receive the From Page to Practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests, as well as information on upcoming episodes. Find the link in the show notes for this episode. So if we move into this final round, so this is the CPD library round. And originally this was going to be quick fire, but then I realized that I'm speaking to teachers who want to give reasons and explanations and stories and all of the rest of it. So that's going out of the window. Don't worry. And it doesn't have to be a book. It could be a blog. It could be a podcast. It could be a, a person you'd turn to for this thing. So I've got a list of categories um, and I'd like to have the the thing that comes to mind for you related to that category is that all right that's okay I, I was a bit stuck on some of them if they're the ones in the email yep so okay that's absolutely fine just let me know pause. when we get there <laughs> <laughs> let me know when we get there that's absolutely fine there's some that people have interpreted in different ways as well so the first one is first got you into evidence-informed practice that's got to be research ed without a shadow of a doubt um it the, I mean, it's it's practically. I mean, it's not free, free, but it's it's got to be the cheapest CPD out there. And the people that talk are like the famous people, <laughs> and they. I mean, they're amazing. I saw Tom Sherrington. Um, and you meet so many people. They're so great for networking. The staff are all people are all super friendly, and it is on Saturdays, but. You know, it, it was it was just it was an absolute eye opener for me, and they have great goodie bags. As well. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's I think it's worthwhile highlighting there. You don't have to go to these things with other people. In fact, research ed I've never been to with someone. I've always just turned up on my own and then spoken to people whilst I was there. So I think sometimes people think, oh, I'll be all on my own. Like just go for it anyway. Well, it's, uh, if you're interested. It doesn't. I mean, the first time that we went, I did go with some buddies, but I would have no problem. There's always loads of people there who are cl- who've clearly come on their own. Um, yeah, I think they. I mean, they're great. So that's definitely that was the, my first foray, if you like. 
<laughs> many a many a connection has been made over a research ed packed lunch. I'm yeah. just thinking back to the last few years. <laughs> For sure. So the next <laughs> the next one then uh, resonated with you the most. Um, I think probably the boy question by Mark Roberts. Um, working in a standard it's not standard it's above standard exceptional um but a, a classic state comprehensive with a wide demographic including many boys um and we've recently or a couple of years ago we must be into a third year of mfl being compulsory um and we teach mixed ability now at key stage four not now but we teach mixed ability at key stage four um and i have two boys myself both very different in terms of, of sort of academic ability, but also in, in personality. Um, and that resonated with me both as a parent of boys and as a teacher who was facing kind of five times a fortnight. Lovely boys, but who just were not interested or thought they were a little bit better than they were and that they could just bring it out the bag which we'll have to wait until August to see if that happened. Um, um, so yes, I think that that really did resonate with me on many levels, and it's it, it's very accessible and it's written in a very kind of approachable. Try this, try this. The um, what you call them like the examples that he uses, the cases that he uses, are are very accessible, very clear, very relevant. So yeah, the boy question. Great. And then the next one is challenged your views. Um, this is one I, I'll be honest, I I think nothing, nothing is bringing out in particular. The thing that I do find difficult is um, a, the, the, the narrative that we have around how amazing technology is for children in the classroom for MFL I'm sure it is but I think sometimes in well I know for a fact that in our context it causes it is not it's not that great really that we we've got children who can't send emails properly we have children who don't know how to save a file um we have children who can't remember a password from one lesson to the next um we have a set of tablets that are for our department that we kind of share out so we've probably all managed to use them once a fortnight which is kind of what we had our computer rooms for but those were taken away for and given to the computer computing department and it's i do struggle with this well just because it's tech it must be great and i think we need to think very carefully about if it's taking me two and a half hours to figure out how to do something and then I have to explain it to the children, I'm only going to get 34 emails that say, it doesn't work, I don't know, I can't do it. And it's like, well, it, I would have been better off doing something, use, you know, I could record, it's not like I'm not using tech at all, but I might've been better off recording something, me saying something and setting some sort of listening task for them to do. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. I do find that quite difficult and I often want to say, yeah, but yeah, but no, just because it's tech, it's not good. And like, if I'm just dragging and dropping and I'm not really looking at what I'm dragging and dropping and, you know, Blook It is great. Love a Blook It, but actually Gold Quest, you can probably win, like well, you can win, by just being stealing what everybody else's money, <laughs> you don't actually have to necessarily be be particularly strong on the vocab. Is my yeah? Is we have to be really seen. selective with our use of of tech, don't we? And it can have some great impact, but also, it, I think some of the things that we've got used in the MFL classroom can not always, but can be used as a time filler more than they are for sound pedagogical reasons. Abs yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, uh, yeah, that's, I do a little bit struggle with, with some of that. That's not to take away from lots of people who are doing really good work improving that access 
but I think it it's it should be fine to say but in my context that's not my experience and being able to make like you say those pedagogical decisions based on is it what's the impact and is it worth the time okay so our next category is had the biggest impact on your practice um i think at the the first thing that jumped the first one that came into my head was the five formative assessment strategies by william and leahy that kate jones did for the um in action series i think that might have been maybe the first or the second book that i read i think and i went i think i might even have done a um like a uh, contribution for your other, other podcast quite possibly um and that really, from the from yeah, from the day, from the day I read it, pretty much, I um, I was I went into the classroom, and I don't think I've put a mini whiteboard down since. <laughs> it, I think that's in terms of classroom practice, that's probably had the biggest sort of day to day impact. Um, in terms of sort of general. Um, kind of approaches to um I want to say behavior I don't know whether it's necessarily behavior feedback possibly um I think it's called the feedback pendulum by yes Michael Charles yeah yeah um that again that was another one is really accessible it's really approachable and it really made me reflect on some of those conversations that I was having with some with with the children and not just sort of after marking their books but kind of everyday conversations in the classroom as we went through as we went through lessons um so I think that's was probably those two um are the ones that 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 probably stand out um there's a couple of blogs um in terms of learning um uh, a chemical orthodoxy, Adam Boxer's blog, um, and um, there's a f- I, there's, I think he's that's the only one that's jumping out to me. But there's a there's a bunch of there's a bunch of them. But yeah, those two books and probably the chemical orthodoxy one. Although because it, it's not super sciencey, I sometimes he goes off into the science. Another massive fan of a mini whiteboard. So that yeah. together with what you were reading in the inaction book. Yeah, I can absolutely. See, I can see it. <laughs> that's probably where that's probably what happened, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what's my next one? Oh, should be required reading for teacher trainees or early career teachers. Well, I'm not sure to be honest, because I have I don't I think part of the issue that I have is I don't know how, there's lots of things that I do, I think, that are, I haven't been an early career teacher for so long. And there's lots of things that are, I think are kind of, well, but you just, you just know that and you just do it. And actually, well, then you, there's lots of things that I must have had to learn, but I don't, I don't remember learning them. Um, but the, I got from the library, the running the room companion. And I imagine that the, the first running the room book can only be a really useful read for an early careers teacher um, just because it puts it in very simple language and it gives, I would have thought it would give people the confidence that at least you've got some structures to try and some processes to try and some strategies to try and the more strategies you have, the more you can try and the more likely you're going to find something that works for you. So. Yeah, you're you're definitely the second, if not maybe even the third person to mention running running the room for this category. So I think that sums it up really. A book that you know uh, to give early career teachers a head start on what they need. I think. Absolutely, I think you can't if you go into too complex too early on. I mean, it's a, such a crazy time anyway when you're just starting out. You just need something that's simple. And makes you feel that you can do something about about your, the issues. You don't need sort of theory and fanciness. You need this is thing. You do this because of this. Try this, and if it doesn't work, try this. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one, I feel like from the way you speak about research, Ed, uh, it might be the same as your first got me into evidence informed practice one, but it might be something different. So inspired you. Um, I, I think probably. 
probably research ed to be fair. <laughs> probably research ed. Um, I think also um, the um, the the formative the five formative assessment strategies. Although lots of them, I the lots of it I wasn't doing. I was sort of I hadn't done for ages. When I read it, I was like, oh, no, no, but I did do that. And I did know that. And so it was kind of more of an inspiration not to do something that I hadn't ever done before, but to, oh, yeah, I remember. So it kind of inspired me in terms of, but I did, I do know that. And I did know that. So I just need to go back and do it again. That kind of, that sort of inspiration. And something else just popped into my head and that's gone out again. Oh, um, um, the retrieval practice books by Kate Jones. Those were, I thought those, those were also kind of inspired me to make some tweaks and make some changes and try some new stuff because they've, she's got, again, I think there's a theme kind of really solid examples of things that you can do. It's always good to be able to go, ah, this is fantastic. I'm going to go away and try something. Mm -hmm, definitely feel like you've got something useful to do. Yeah. But those yeah, things research, that you can go away and apply. Massive fan. <clears throat> yeah um so what was my next well got last few now so your most recent i just finished reading um common ground by florencia henshaw and maris hawkins so that's a very um it's it, it does what it says basically it kind of takes second language acquisition research into the classroom it's very language based it's it's an mfl book it's communicative language teaching um and we recently in sort of recently yeah during during the pandemic in fact um we redesigned our curriculum to be much more along the lines of that extensive processing instruction um that um Gianfranco Conti kind of has has taken and and, and run with that and um so it, it was really interesting to read some of the theory behind it, a little bit more of the theory behind it. And it brought together what we've been looking at over the past two and three years. Actually, it was much, much more accessible than I thought. I was a bit kind of like, well, I should read it because it's got a nice pretty colour. And it's, I really, I used, followed her a lot. She was one of the first people, I think, during the pandemic that I picked up on on YouTube. So I was kind of like, wanted to read it anyway. But it was much, much more easier, easy to follow than I had, than I had anticipated. So that was the most recent one. I think that's good as well, isn't it? Because lots of people see reading for CPD as something that might not be accessible to. So to have good examples of things that are is really, really helpful. Um, so next, so it could be next read or next listen or next whatever. Um, next, what well, the book that I just got recently was um, Shimamira's Marge Model of Learning by Nimish Ladd. Another in action book. Another in action, yeah. So another, and I love, love those in action books. But they're just kind of, they're not scary. They're like make you feel that you can do this. It's not a big tome. Um, yeah. So I heard him talk at uh, at research ed, and um, yeah, just out of interest, really, in that sort of learning and attention and remembering and relevance um, that kind of fits together. So yeah, that's that's the next one. Um, so this final category that people have interpreted in slightly different ways is doesn't exist but should. So it could be a book that you there's an area that you're really, really interested in and you can't find a book on it. Or there's lots of things around and about on this particular area and you wish it was all together in one place. Or you know, interpret it how you wish uh, but doesn't exist but you think should. I really had no idea. But now that you've explained it, I would really like to read a book that is MFL, send focus, but with in MFL. Nice. Because I, yeah. can't, I can't help but think that, well, I know that it should be, it should be just as possible for different types with different with 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 additional needs to be able to access you know even if so we have a coin center a communication center for children that have got sort of communication difficulties and they often they don't do french 
but they almost they've got there's I think there's five or seven students in the in the center that don't do French but five of them are coming on our trip in the summer to France having never done French so I don't know I just there I feel there must be a kind of a niche for sort of teaching MFL in a send in a in a send environment I'd read that book yeah, making MFL accessible for everybody as it should be, yeah. rather than what so often happens of disapplication for various different students for different reasons. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I think, you know, things like, could it be that, you know, in an ideal world, maybe you have somebody, you know, maybe one of us could go to the coin centre and do French for, or, or Spanish, or or Italian, thinking of the languages that we do offer in our department you know it I mean it, we don't have we don't have the time and the capacity at the moment but in an ideal world it would be nice to sort of it wouldn't be like in the regular lessons necessarily because it would be it would be much smaller and it would be sort of more sitting around in a circle and and I kind of can't help thinking that there must be there must be enough to put in a book about that <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. And now, now you've got me wanting to speak to someone who does MFL in a in maybe in an SEN context because there must be people out there doing it, but we don't hear about it that often because I do often feel that MFL is the subject that gets gets dropped on the way, doesn't it? So, so yeah, no, where I used where I where I worked for sort of the biggest chunk of my career so far, um, we had a, a sort of an agreement with the um, a special school. <clears throat> not far away and if they had behaved well uh, in the the previous week they would um they would come and have an hour Spanish lesson and that was they they really it was a huge um deal for them they really loved it you didn't always tell that they really loved it but they really they really wanted to come and it was a real um carrot for them to try and monitor and manage their behaviour in school, in in their main school, because, and I kind of think that, yeah, yeah, SEN and MFL, there must be, there must be a different way to do it. Well, thank you so much for giving up your time this evening to ha- to chat with me, Joe. This is, you You're know, it's flown by. We've been on for like just short of an hour, I think, at this oh, point. So, <laughs> so, um, and I really appreciate it. It's nice to get to talk about different things, CPD related, and a bit of MFL in there as well was really nice too. Um, so, yeah, thank you for coming, and um, yeah, bye. Thank you, thank you very much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Love talking to you, Becky. <laughs> interested in evidence-informed practice? Do you have a favourite edgy book? Have an idea of what great CPD is and should be? Or to just generally have a chat about education? Please sign up to join me for a conversation. I rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience. Visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form. Almost immediately after recording, Joe came across a podcast which fits the bill as it's all about inclusive teaching in MFL. I'll link it in the show notes. Next week marks the 10th episode of this series and I'll be talking to Kaylee, a second year ECT who has changed careers to become a teacher and who's also completing a master's in education. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.